TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host... And we are back. Our guests, and he's been on with us quite often over the years, Rabbi Yeruchim Silver. He is currently Director of New York Government Relations for Good Israel of America, and he's the son of the legendary Rabbi Melech Silver. And Rabbi Yaakov Rosenberg is a scholar, author, and educator from Lakewood, New Jersey. He's written the book called Blazing the Trail, the story of Rabbi Melech Silver and the impact of the Yeshiva Eastern Parkway upon the American Torah world. So thank you for joining us. Good luck. I just want to say, add my condolences to the Melman family. As you know, I know, obviously, Josh and Morty very well. It's very sad to hear the news that you just mentioned about the uh, Mrs. Melman. Yeah, very sad. And really, really, they do so much for Claudius role, and I know them on different levels and different places, <laughs> and very special people. And so sad to hear about her passing. May her memory be a blessing, and, and may they only know from no more Tsar, no more of, these, of this sadness. I want to start with you, Rabbi Yeruchim Silver, because this book that came out is a fascinating book about the Yeshiva Eastern Parker, which is where I went to high school. So I have a very special connection. And I was very pleased that also the book is dedicated to Rabbi Shlomo Prager, of blessed memory, who was my Rebbe in 10th grade. And I knew Rebison Shlomo's Prager as well. Uh, but uh, sure, Rabbi Prager was a man uh, who was very, very special. And it was in my imagination that I know that that Rabbi Chaim Berlin Yeshiva and Rabbi Hutner had a tremendous impact on Yeshiva in the Parkway as well. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it began really as as a branch of, of Yeshiva Chaim Berlin. In fact, um, it was started by a group of um, of leaders, Balabatim, in, in Crown Heights then. Who asked Rav Hutner, who were close to Rabbi Hutner, and asked them to send him a, a manal. And he sent my father to be the manal. He was then 24 years old. He walked in and he got the job sight unseen on the, recommend, on the recommendation of Rabbi Hutner. And throughout, Rabbi Hutner was his really guide and mentor throughout the time that the yeshiva was there. So, absolutely. Now, the yeshiva was on East 45th Street and, th- and Church Avenue. That's when I went there as well. But when I went there, the neighborhood was not that great. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess at some point was the neighborhood better. I, I assume so when they built it. Uh, well, she was originally at 991 Eastern Parkway, where I started going. And yeah, I listened. The, the the neighborhood was a growing neighborhood, and I think um, you know at the time that the Shiva was where they pitched a lot was about 1964, 65. Um, a, a, a large amount of, of the student body actually came from East Flatbush, so it, at that time it made sense because they were really serving. The student population, they were primarily coming from, from East Flappish and a little bit of Crown, from Crown Heights. So that's why the building was built there. Obviously, nobody had a crystal ball to know what would happen to a neighborhood, but at that time, it was actually a lot of people from Brownsville moving in. So it was really, during the 60s, in the mid-60s, it was actually growing for a while, East Flappish. Well, but uh, you write in the book, I should say that Rabbi Rosmer writes in the book, that there was, a, there was perhaps a possibility of buying... A land or building yeshiva, I think on Coney Island Avenue in the heart of Flatbush, and Rav Hutner said, "Don't do it." Yeah, we Chaim Berlin ended up buying later, but that was only for the Mesifta and the Bismedrish, because the Mesifta and Bismedrish were not so dependent on being 
close to where the boys lived. It wouldn't make sense for elementary school boys who lived in Crown Heights and these flappers to travel out to Coney Island, so they had to have the yeshiva more local. But they knew at the time that these flappers was not going to last, was not going to be a long-term home for the yeshiva. So they had a, an opportunity to buy a building, and they thought, you know, maybe keep the elementary school in East Flatbush and move the Mesiftabis Medrash department to, to Coney Island because we're going to have to move it at some point anyway. And Rafutna came down, went down with Ramelech Silva to check out the building, and he told them that it wasn't suitable for Mesifta, which Ramelech accepted because it really wasn't. And then, like two years later, that same building was offered to Chaim Berlin, and Rabbi Fruchtan Lashlita told me the story that he went down with the Rufutna. He was he came to him to offer. He told Rufutna he has an offer for a building and want to go check it out. And Rufutna went with him, and they checked at the building, and he was all excited because look, it's such a great building for our yeshiva. And Rufutna was really not excited, and he couldn't understand why. And finally, he told him, "I'll tell you the truth. I was here two years ago with Rabbi Luchsover, and I recommended him, I advised him not to buy it for his masifta. So I can't buy it now for my own yeshiva." I first then told him, but that was for a sister. We need a lot of classrooms. It was a very narrow building. We need a bismedger, so make a, make a long bismedger. You don't need so many classrooms. It's not a problem. And he said, yeah, you're right, but how could I buy it if I told him not to? And he just didn't feel comfortable buying it. I first then called Ramelech and told him what happened. He said, no, no, it's, I understand. It was, it was good advice from a sister. It wasn't suitable. But go ahead and buy it for the bismedger, because the Chaim Berlin bismedger, it's, it's a good location. And they ultimately bought it, and that's the Chaim Berlin in there. And that's where Avenue Evan Coney Island Avenue. Yep. Into a very interesting story. So tell, tell us, because the book is, you know, and a lot of great pictures and great stories in the book, but uh, tell us about the impact of the Yeshiva Eastern Parkway upon the American Torah world. Which is I the mean, base I'll, of the I'll book. Start, I'll, I'll, I'll start not hand there by Rosenberg. It, it was at that time probably the first yeshiva that was, um, you know, a traditional yeshiva, but the the staff was almost all American-born, or, Ameri- or or at least American-trained. American, American trained. Well, At that time, most yeshivas had European rebellion, and many of them really couldn't relate to the boys. So that was really one of the uniqueness, that there was really... Um, a school where the staff were American-born or trained or, or studied and really had the unique ability to to relate um, to the to the boys. Robert Rosenberg. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, it was it was a generation that was, you know, in changing. It, it was in flux. Orthodoxy at the time, you know, you had a lot of people came from Europe after the war. You had second generations people who came to America. Like the first generation. Were mostly not sure Mishabas and some, you know, Tevras, Chaimblin in the early years, Mishiras Nefesh to make some sort of yeshiva. But now you had their children who were growing up in America from American from parents, and they weren't sure what they were really looking for going forward. And it was an opportunity to, to make a mark, and they really did, because Eastern Parkway raised the bar. You know, the first generation couldn't really go that far because they wouldn't have gotten Talmudim. You know, they had to make accommodations for what the situation was in America. And he was willing to take it further, and he was willing to bet <coughs> that the boys will go for it. Excuse me. Um, and, yeah, he had, he had his rebellion were pretty mostly straight out of Chaim Berlin Yeshiva. And they, they were young, they were American, and they were B'nai Torah. The yeshivas were either took in from Europe, or they were, you know, people who were trained in New Hebrew, there was the masculine, it wasn't, 
you know, he was young when he who convinced, you know, grew up in America, went to Yeshiva. Some Tevedas, he had Rabbi, Rabbi the Tomer was from Tevedas, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Polton was from Tevedas. And the majority of them were from Chaim Berlin. Young people who went to Yeshiva in America and were convinced it's time to, you know, we're going we're gonna to change America. And they had that attitude, and they were very much there from that. Now, it's interesting because how orthodoxy has changed, and even the yeshiva, you know, the yeshiva of Eastern Park, when I went there, obviously the yeshiva doesn't exist anymore today. I think this, the Mesipta still goes on, and the Reb Chaim Epstein, the Zechot Tzadik, the Racha, passed away, what, about 2015? Um, yeah. But the yeshivas have changed because of the times. It's, it's a different thing. In fact, when my father went to Yeshiva Chaim Berlin in East New York, you know, they were begging to get kids in. They actually paid people to go. You didn't pay tuition. They paid you to go. It's a whole different thing today. Uh, so it's nice. It's interesting to see how orthodoxy has changed, and the yeshivas pay, played a very important role in that. But I would say yeshivas in Park were, were, was unique for that, how many uh, boys came in from families who were not religious, not orthodox, um, didn't pay a lot of tuition. The policy was that anybody wanted yeshiva was taken in, and there were hundreds of families who actually became um, Orthodox, became religious, because their, their children were in Yeshiva Stem Parkway. Was, there were many, many stories. That if you go through the book, there's numerous stories of how uh, kids came in from totally non-Orthodox homes, and they, they became transformed. And no. today, many of them are, are, are you know, prominent, prominent people, Rashi Yeshivas, and prominent, very prominent people that are still around today in the in the Jewish world, who who did not come from religious backgrounds and were transformed by the Shivas Parkway. Uh, can you tell us yeah, some stories related? To go ahead, tell, maybe tell us some stories related to that. Go ahead, Rabbi Rosenberg. Well, there's a number of them in the book. Those are by Germain, Rabbi Avner Germain, who would bring in. Uh, he was a very active Rav. He had a Talmud Torah like every Shulman at the time which was after public school, a few, you know, two hours of Hebrew school, mostly just to get him by mitzvah, and then that would be the end of it. But he was very dedicated, and if he, he worked on his boys to get him to go to real yeshivas. And if he had boys that he convinced them and their parents to go to yeshiva, then he sent them to Houston Rockway. There was no tuition because they were coming from public school. You know, they're doing the rabbi a favor and sending their kids to yeshiva, trying out yeshiva. You know, Rabbi Silver took them all in. He took them in by the everyone, you know. I interviewed many alumni of the yeshiva, and they told me, yeah, we are in our class, a number of boys, and, you know, Rabbi Jermaine's boys, I knew who they were, and Rabbi Jermaine would follow up, he was in yeshiva all the time, he would speak to the rabbim and find out how the boys were doing and everything else, because nobody else was doing that, but he had that policy, and it was a fascinating story, I mean, this I heard from Rabbi Brilovsky, Rabbi Brilovsky who was the assistant principal in the later years, and this, is, this happened in the summer of 1970, um, the yeshiva of also had a day camp, for the you know, children who stayed, who stayed in the city and they didn't want him to lose everything over the summer. This was also one of his original ideas. I mean, there were day camps, but the yeshiva having a day camp was a new idea that Rabbi Silver came up with. So at the time, Rabbi Lovsky was involved in running the day camp, and Rabbi Silver was in the bungalow. He used to rest up, he used to go to the country, but he came back to the city from time to time to prepare for the new school year. So he was in the city, and he met with Rabbi Brilovsky in, in the yeshiva and on Church Avenue. And they had a meeting discussing whatever it was for the, for the upcoming year. And then Rabbi Lovsky mentioned that, you know, it's a lot of the issues right in 1970 and the world was becoming more, big change. talk about the changing Orthodox world. You know, and the yeshiva was starting to adopt the policy of only accepting boys from homes which were Shema Shabbos. And, they, you know, said, should we take such a policy or not? Like, what do we, what do we want? Where do we stand on that? Rabbi Silva told him, let's hold off on, on such a thing. Let's still be open door for everyone. You know, it sounded like he agreed it's going to get there one day, but he didn't. Let's try to hold off as much as possible. 
And Rabbi Lutsky told him, fine, I understand that. But you realize if other yeshivas only take boys from Shema Shabbos and we take boys even from homes that are not Shema Shabbos, we might lose some of the, you know, the Muslim homes that are not going to want to send their children to our yeshiva. And Rabbi Silva told him, you're right, but I know that when I'm going to stand one day before the Bezim Shalmaila, I could say that there are 200 families today that are Shema Shabbos, that I changed from being Mechalul Shabbos to Shema Shabbos because I took their children into the yeshiva and I changed their families. And and said, that, was, that was the end of that conversation. He said, okay, have a great day, and he went off back to the country. And that was the last time that Rabbi Bielowski spoke to him because a few days later he had his heart attack and he was missed there. And he was... No. No. That was the last yeah, thing I, that Rabbi Silva told him. Were those, uh, I you know, he knows at least 200 families that he changed. Yeah, well, one of the most famous stories was a woman came in to register her son for kindergarten, and only because the family was completely not religious, only because it was convenient, the hours were more convenient. And during the course of the conversation, my father realized that she had an older son, and he said, send the older son as well. He was in public school. She said, no, he's in public school. So she, she said, I'll make a deal with you. I'll take them both, but you get two for the price of one. Uh, otherwise, you have to send them both, and I'll only charge tuition for one of them. So the older boy went, and, and not only did he go, they made a, he made a special class to accommodate that boy because he wanted to have a boy come from public school. And that older boy today is a very, very prominent, you know, Rosh Hashiva in Israel who has taught thousands of thousands of, of uh, you know, Tamidu of Mantra's Yeshiva. So it was just the idea of the impact. You know, I was fascinated. I read a story about the Mets, the Mets in Yeshiva from Parkway, and the <laughs> Seder plate as opposed to the mezuzah. Tell us about that. Yeah. You know, after the fire, um, in 1968, there was a very, very devastating fire. Um, the building was a year old, and there was an arson attack on, on the base manager. was was burnt down. The seventh Sefer Torah, Tefillah, and Svarim, it was a terrible, it was a devastating uh, Did they ever find who did attack. it? Yes, it was two teenagers um, who were arrested soon after, you know, uh, yes, two teenagers. Um, and, in fact, they, the first word they said to the judge by the Iranian was, because we, we hate Jews, you know. Well, anti-Semitism is Yeah, it doesn't change. You know, we see the no, same no, thing today, unfortunately. Um, but at any rate, there was a major fundraising um, campaign. To, you know, obviously to, to replace the to, to rebuild the, the base medrash. And during the course of the, uh, the various various meetings, one of the people knew someone who was close then with with Gil Hodges, who was then the manager of the Mets. And they arranged for um, for the Mets to give, uh, and they had a Jewish player, and Archamsky, who was you know a, a Jewish player. They arranged for the Mets to give five hundred dollars. That was, by the way, before players made millions of dollars. They played, so <laughs> it may not seem like a lot, but those days it was a nice amount of money. In 1969, and they went down. Uh, my father and a few of the board members went down to Shea Stadium um, one night to make the presentation. And the and when he accepted the check, he gave back as a token of appreciation a Seder plate. Which said Manish Tana Halayla Hazen. Gil Hodges asked him to translate. It. He goes, "Why would this night be different?" Um, anyway, they had lost a few games in a row that night. They began a winning streak. They began a winning streak and won 11 games in a row, and then went on to be called the famous Miracle Mets. Those that remember that ended up winning the World Series. So it all started that night when they, the team got turned around that night. <laughs> so, um, for the, any, any Mets fans listening, you should know if 1969 the Shivistan Park was the reason. Why the Mets won the World Series that year? They're the reason behind the Miracle Mets. That story has been printed many, many times. It's been you know a number of times before the book. It's been uh, in Tabla Magazine, Mishpacha Magazine. It's been uh, it's it's one of the most famous stories. So did they ever come back for another? Yeah, he was another told post? that they should bring that they're expecting a mezuzah. Right. But he didn't want to give him a mezuzah, right? 
And he said, no, no I'm not he, giving him a mazuzah. He's going to hang it in. And, uh, he didn't think it was appropriate. They told him, just give him a mezuzah case. And he, he told him, no, they're going to, it's not, they will be honest. He said, no mezuzah. It's a Tavosh B'Kedusha, and he can't give him mezuzah, even though they told him it's, it's expected. he got to do it. And he came up with an idea, you know, what's more, what's more Jewish than a Seder play, right? Right. So, the, and so that went over well. We're looking at the story, and, Rabbi Mel. What were you saying, Rabbi Rucham? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. In fact, the postscript was a few weeks later. You know, today you get pictures emailed right away within two hours. So those days, the pictures were printed. It came in the mail a few weeks later, and the person whose name is Jerome Belson, who had set it up, said, "Here are your pictures." By the way, Gil Hodge wants to know if you could travel with the team to reproduce the winning streak. As <laughs> 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 tra- a traveling chaplain, but I guess he turned it down. He had more important things to do at the time: running a team. Like, you know. <laughs> He should have told me he can he can if they give more money they can control it from from church and forty fish he doesn't have to travel yeah, with the yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're looking at the the book called Blazing the Trail: The Story of Rabbi Melech Silver, the impact of the Yeshiva Eastern Park upon the American Torah world. Our guest, Rabbi Yerucham Silver, in a different capacity, he is the director of New York Government Relations of Good of America, and his father he lost his father. I believe you were about fourteen years old, correct? Yeah. Yes. But he's the impetus behind the book, which took decades in the making. Rabbi Yaakov Rosenberg wrote the book. We come back. We'll be with us for a little while longer. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk Line Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Here is your host. We're back. Our final stretch, Rabbi Yerucham Silver, Rabbi Yaakov Rosenberg. The fascinating book is called Blazing the Trail, the story of Rabbi Melech Silver and the impact of the Yeshiva Eastern Parkway upon the American Torah world. And I went there for high school, and it was a very interesting experience. I enjoyed the Rabbeim, including Rabbi Shlomo Prager, who the book is dedicated to. Okay, let's squeeze in one or two phone calls. Let's go to Yossi in Brooklyn. Go ahead. You have a question or comment to our guest. Go ahead, Yossi. How are you? You're welcome. A good So I'm going to remind you of a story. I started to tell Zev. I'm going to remind you of a story. I'm going to go back when you were in the base medrash. Just lower your radio, yes. We're getting feedback from you. I just lower your radio while you're speaking. Go ahead. My radio was closed. Let me okay. I'll get off the speaker. Okay. When you were in Adelphia, you asked Rifki Sheng for a stender. And sure enough, which stender did she take? Everybody was watching. She took Rechaim Epstein's stender. And she bought it to you, and you used that stender. And they said that was a similar kind was going to Eastern Parkway. Okay. Remember, that, remember story? that story? Yeah. No, I don't. But, but I'm, I'm telling you, I swear like anything. Okay. I, I, <laughs> All right, just want to let you know. Okay. Okay, thanks, Yossi. Good hearing from you. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. All right, bye. thank you. Uh, at least he took a stand, which is so important. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so many wonderful stories in the book, and... Uh, urge people to get it. So, what else stands out in your mind? 
Rabbi Yeruchim, what stands out in your mind? I mean, you know, just, you know, the impact and the amount of, the, 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 and the things that I hear so many years later, I meet people, it's 50 years, and I meet people who have such warm memories from it. You just, it, it's, you know, it's, you would think after so many years, but people really look back at the Shivistan Parkway. That, that's, to me, the biggest thing that I've heard, you know, constantly over the years, how, what kind of good feeling, good and warm feelings and memories people have of, of, of those days, you know, back then. No, it certainly was, uh, you know, an interesting experience. And listen, a lot of Talmud Chacham came out from there, and a lot of, you know, it changed, it helped change the course of American Orthodoxy, and uh, which is which is what the book is all about. Let me turn to you, Rabbi Yaakov Rosenberg. I, I think Rabbi Yeruchim was a big impetus, right? What? How many decades did he take to get this book get going? Well, it just kind of took me recently, you know, two years ago. But he was collecting things. I mean, I have documents, papers, things that he put together, and interviews. Because, you know, America was lived 50 years ago, and the whole early family history and things like that. There's no one today who, who could have given all that information. It's just that this, this was a second, more than the first time that he worked on it. So I had old recordings of interviews. There were interviews that Rabbi Rukham himself conducted with some old friends of his father. And then there was a time, like, uh, over 25 years ago, um, that they actually had someone else work on the book. Rabbi from Stone worked on, on putting together a book. And he conducted many interviews, including like eight, nine hours of interviews with Rabbi's two sisters. He had two older sisters. One is Rabbi Rukham Olshin's mother, uh, Mrs. Olshin, Mrs. Peppy Olshin, and Mrs. Esther Adler. So they, like eight, I just sat, you know, he gave me a, a whole bag of micro cassettes that I sat and listened to all these old interviews, all these old, you know, family members and that. Otherwise, we never would have gotten the book that we did without that information. So I got all that from Yeruchim that he's been, I mean, those recordings are about 30 years old, 25, 30 years old. You know, other, other early interviews, you know, so that besides the people that I spoke to now, I had a lot of information from interviews conducted over the years. It was also, um, and that's just helpful. It was, uh, it was vital to the, to the book. I see you have also some words from Rabbi Joshua Silbens from the Pirche Good at Israel of America, too. He was the famous, you know, man behind Pirche Good at Israel. Talk about his relationship uh, with Rabbi uh, Melech Silver. Well, well, Josh was one of my father's closest friends. He was our neighbor, um, Montgomery Street in Crown Heights. We lived in the same apartment building for many, many years. Um, so they they worked close together before I mean, my father had been involved in Pirchai Gudis Israel before he he joined the the Parkway. So so Josh was really one of his closest friends. So and they were, you know they you know so I, he at that time the article in the book was from an article that he wrote soon after the, within the first year of my father passing away. Uh, Josh wrote an article in a, in a um, uh, the publication that was called Darkenu then it was then the. A magazine of Tirachai Gudis Yisrael, that's where it appeared. So it was reprinted um, in the book. We had a collection of articles all written that time. We felt it would really be interesting to see the capture the feeling of the time, how people wrote when it was really fresh. And that's those number of articles, uh, the Josh Shulman's article among them, was put in an appendix that really captured the feeling at that time within the first few months um, after he passed away. Now, did you get... The feeling, I, I know when I went to Yeshiva Eastern Parkway, people kept saying to me, oh, you must be Lubavitch because you call it Yeshiva Eastern Parkway. <laughs> Did you ever consider that when you, when they chose the name? Because I got that. I'm sure you must have gotten, or anybody went to the Yeshiva got that. Are you Lubavitch? 
but realizing that that Crown Heights, you know, now it's obviously you know almost exclusively Lubavitch, but those days it was not. Lubavitch was there. There were certainly prominent them, but there were many other groups and many other people. So it, at that time, it wasn't thought of as as a purely exclusive Lubavitch neighborhood, Crown Heights. So no, at that time not. Um, I, actually, over the years, Easter Park now kind of takes Lubavitch, but no, at that time, um, it was just the neighborhood of Crown Heights, where there's many people living in Crown Heights. You know, the Bubba Rebel in Crown Heights then, and the Boston Rebbe, and, 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 you know, many other people. I grew up there. Yeah, certainly. May I recommend the book? The book is called Blazing the Trail, the story mm-hmm. of Rabbi Melech Silver, the impact of Shibis. Published, published, published by Feldheim and available at all your uh, fine Judaica bookstores. Available, and, and, is it on, and, and is it on Amazon, too? Yes, it's on Amazon, and it's available also through Feld, through Feldheim website, through, I guess, Feldheim.com. Amazon and you know and your local you know Jewish bookstore. So it's a wonderful book and it's certainly a tribute to what the Jewish Park contributes to the growth of American Orthodoxy. I want to thank you, Rabbi Yerucham Silver, who is director of New York Government Relations for Good of America. Thank you, Rabbi Yaakov Rosenberg of Lakewood, New Jersey, and for being with us. And I'll t- give out the name of the book again. It's called Blazing the Trail, the story of Rabbi Melech Silver and the impact of the Yeshiva Eastern Park upon the American Torah world from Feldheim Press. And uh, thank you for being with us and continued success. And will there be a sequel about what happened to the Yeshiva after Rabbi Melech Silver? Well, there is a, a epilogue in the back of the book. In the back, that does describe that, yes. Yeah. Oh, there is. I, okay, so there is some yeah, part yeah. where, because I, I remember you had some wonderful rabbin. When I was there, you had Rabbi Levenberg and had Rabbi Prager and you had, there was Rabbi Spiegel sure. and uh, Rabbi sure. Rabbi Shmuel Miller, who passed away pretty recently. Just recently, yeah. Last, I uh, interviewed him. He gave me a lot of time. So some of the rabbin that I had there. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much. Good luck and look forward to having you back again, too. Good luck. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hi, this is David Gabe, and you're listening to the Zev Brenner Show. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, HawklineNetwork.com or our 24 hour a day listen line at 641 741 0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the thetalklinenetwork.com. And you're listening to the Talkline Network over WVIP 93.5 FM HD2, New Rochelle, New York. We are America's only Jewish radio program on regular broadcast radio on the Internet and digital platforms. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to today's episode.